You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with Something Rather Than Nothing, and this episode we're welcoming Christina King. And uh, Christina, just wanted to welcome you to uh, the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Thank you, Ken. I, um, I'm very excited to talk to you, but uh, one of the things uh, I want to jump in right off the bat, um, getting into your creativity and um, uh, your artistry. When you were born, were you an artist when you were born? I love this question. Um, and I would say everyone is an artist when they're born. So of course I was an artist when I was born. And the reason I say that is because, well, I've been thinking about this question a lot lately and it just pops up in, in weird places. I, I manage a support team at a 3D software company um, who also makes a bunch of cool effects plugins for uh, Adobe and Final Cut uh, products. So. I'm adjacent to other artists all the time. And yesterday we were interviewing somebody for the team and he mentioned why he was interested in this position. And it was to be around other artists um, or around artists. And he's like, I don't consider myself an artist though. And I think so many people put artists on this pedestal, which I mean, you definitely should based on some of the amazing things that are created, but it's like you shouldn't diminish your own energy and potential either. Um, it it feels like some people are are struck by a lightning rod, and it's creativity pouring out of their soul all the time. But I I subscribe to this newsletter from my favorite living uh, rock performer Nick Cave, and people constantly ask him <laughs> about his. <laughs> you I just so, so for the listeners, we have to inter- we have to interrupt uh, this important uh, interview. Uh, I am able to see Christina, and as she said, Nick Cave. I uh, did a gesticulation of glee because I adore Nick Cave. Sorry, Christina, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the uh, the red letter files. Um, he has been communicating with fans for the past few years via these emails, and he gets thousands of letters and questions uh, a year and he answers a lot of them and a recurring theme is creativity and how are you so prolific Nick you've been doing this for 40 years and I've seen him live I don't know five times maybe and every time it's it's a religious experience and I'm not a traditionally religious person but uh, it, it feels like being in a big mega church where everybody's putting their energy to the sky, um, except he's taking it in and giving it back. Uh, anyway, so so one of the things that he writes often about is, it's a lot of work. I don't get struck by a muse and, and write all these wonderful songs. Like, he, I laughed when he wrote his, how he works, but he's like, I put on my suit, I go to my desk, you know, I, I have my tea, I, I write, and sometimes things pour out, sometimes they don't. I might start with a single word that came to my mind or a line. And I felt that that really resonated because 
knowing somebody like him who I do see is so prolific and talented. I mean, he's acted, he writes songs, he writes books, he plays a bunch of instruments, he surrounds himself with other creative people. It's it's not an accidental thing. Like it's it's very intentional that he's creating art and because of that, uh, I like I think it's an empowering notion that these these people we do put on pedestals are actually working hard at it. Like it's it's not just something that happens. And so, um, was I born an artist? Yes, I think everybody was born an artist. It's just whether or not you dedicate time and energy to it. And you might suck at painting, but if you keep painting, you're going to get better. And on the other hand, we're you know, usually our own biggest critics too. So that doesn't help. Um, so yes, I was, I was born an artist and then it's just a matter of pursuing it individually, which is a choice or pursuing it with other people and surrounding yourself with weirdos and a community of people who also, uh, chose to continue a creative spark that I think we all have inside somewhere when we're born. Yeah, and, and, and thank you. I know as far as um, I've mentioned it on recent episodes too, um, you know, when I think when a theme develops, uh, you know, in talking to creatives, it's one I, I, try to, I try to notice. And I think part of the show has been to look at like that type of trajectory and that type of thing of talent, gift, development, hard work. And I, I do, I really picked up on what you said because I've seen in talking to artists, I think, um, a lot of folks in the public, you know, may consume art or take it in and it, it seems easy, right? It's always like they paid a lot of money and it's easy or however they view it. And there's so much effort that goes into art that I think we take for granted a lot. And I think that places the artist in the sense of like, oh, I was around when the magic happened. Here's the object and now I'll transfer it to you, which if that happens, lovely that's that's fine but um it's that it's that creative work that uh i think we miss or isn't counted right if it isn't, mm-hmm. isn't measured measured and counted it doesn't exist maybe or is less valuable gosh i sound like i got on my high horse there i, I didn't mean to do that <laughs> uh, uh christina but we're already friends so uh, i know you'll uh uh in, in, indulge me so uh christina uh i want to talk to you uh uh about about your creativity um i know you've worked uh, in video and you've talked uh, you mentioned as, as far as 3d software i know and learning about your creativity that you kind of think about it in different ways work with people in different ways organize hang around weirdos creatives whatever it might be so um can you kind of talk about how you see yourself uh as a creator and as an artist and where you manifest that yeah so that's a that's a wonderful question, and I like all the you know the preface that you gave about what you know about me. So, uh, I in in taking on this new job, which I've been at for about three months. Uh, one of the one of the things that they had me do was write a, a brief biography, and they sent it to every employee. There's like 300 people in the company, maybe worldwide, and one of the things that I noticed about all the other new people when I saw their bios is that a lot of them came specifically to work at this company because they are artists and they are 3d artists. And it's like, I can actually get paid to do something that is 
related to what I do in my free time. You know, even if it's marketing or, or support, for example, you're still tied closely to the, the tools that make things possible. And when I was born, I think, eh, you know, go back to 1984 and we had much less access to this sort of stuff. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm going to admit I'm a little resentful about, uh, <laughs> you know, growing up, uh, and not having access to these things, um, was perhaps a little limiting, but then there's also just attitudes that maybe perhaps prevented me from being a different person. I don't know. That's a weird tangent. Um, and maybe I won't go down, down that dark hole, but the, (laughs) the, uh, the exciting thing about it is that it is, is so much more accessible and people can still, you know, get into that capitalist grind and work a 40, 50 hour week, but at least they can do it in an industry that really excites and interests them. And so, when I had the opportunity to, to get into this new role um, and be surrounded by people who were really excited to be doing doing this work and supporting artists who need these tools, um, I wrote in my bios like, yeah, you know, I've been an amateur filmmaker since I was 10 when my dad let me use his RCA camcorder. And so you know, I think that was one of the turning points in my life is I was always, you know, a weird kid and it was great. I had that idyllic 80s uh, growing up in a cul-de-sac in the suburbs sort of situation with a bunch of neighbor kids in the same age range as me, which it seems like that doesn't happen anymore. I don't know what changed, but it, it seems like that does not exist. And all of a sudden I had an entire cast at my, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say at my disposal. But... And, hungry, and hungry for the opportunity to, to, to enter the film world at the same time. Yeah. And so it was a, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of, of means, but my dad bought a camera um, when my parents divorced because it was, I think that was an important thing to him is I'm going to take my daughters on trips and, you know, record what's going on and so it was like thanks dad I'm going to take that and going from there to you know continuing to do things with a silly VHS camera for years and then getting into high school this was in the late 90s and digital started happening and that is such an amazing turning point for all of humanity for so many reasons I mean more than just filmmaking, of course, has been impacted by this big switch. But it was, okay, cool. I worked at Keymart for an entire summer, saved up $750, went to Circuit City, RIP, and purchased a <laughs> digital eight camcorder. And, you know, that was my high school life was, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to do the school news. I'm going to record all my friends doing weird, funny things. And, it was still, you know, this was pre-internet. This is pre-social media. This was before anybody was doing that with the potential for an audience. So I was just really doing it for myself and for my friends. Um, and and there's definitely power to that. I mean, that that got me through so much. And then went to college, 
went to the University of Oregon. It still hadn't made the transition to digital in terms of journalism. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but I I took the class known as Info Hell, which is where you learn how to gather sources and stuff. And the professor on the first day said no internet sources. And it was like that what is this, nineteen eighty five? Like uh <laughs> No, no, no internet. So get into the stacks, right? Yeah. And uh, I actually ended up uh, dropping. That was the first that was the only class I've ever dropped out of. I dropped out of that class. And I was like, I have a job. I have a full course load. I am not going to spend 30 hours a week, as you said, in the stacks when we have this unimaginable pot of resources this gold right right here in this computer why would I do this um so that pivoted things for me and and I I just became I feel more like I, I lost my spark I would say um I lost any momentum I had and decided you know I'm just gonna do this thing that I'm supposed to do I'm gonna finish school and I always thought I might want to be a teacher and that's um, your, I don't know if you call him your producer, Peter, that's, that's how Peter and I really cemented our, our friendship was going through the teaching program together, even though we'd known each other for ever. That was, you're, you're, you're in education. Uh, it's, it's a yeah. different way to experience having a spark. Um, and it initially, it was a bit of a, it was rough. Um, and it took a while, but eventually, I, I found my spark again. I was substituting long-term for a teacher who had the, I would say, immense uh, privilege of advising a student newspaper. And I got to do that for six months, and it was just so, I don't know, I want to say joyful to be around these students who had, so much potential and they at that point weren't disillusioned with the world and it's like okay maybe maybe I need to get out of this funk you know how can I get out of this funk and around the same time I had started doing the 48-hour film project my my good friend uh Nate and Eugene he was still in school and he's like hey how would you feel about about doing this thing I heard about it you know from somebody in class and this was also still in the early 2000s, so everything wasn't digital yet. I was like, well, I still have access to that camcorder, that digital eight, you know, it's still on tapes. And luckily we found somebody else who had a, a better camera and we assembled a crew of like six or seven people. But um, that was the the turning point, I think, in my adult life was you don't have to pursue this as a living to have it make a meaningful impact on your life. And you could still impact your own life, but also have an incredibly profound impact on the life of others. And it's not because we were making films, um, you know, about the Holocaust or something, some human experience that that needs to be told. I mean, we're making stupid movies, but having six, seven, 10, 20 people on a set together, just working to create something like that's magic. And, you know, you started out with like, okay, we're going to prepare 
two weeks beforehand, we've got some spreadsheets. People are going to volunteer to bring food. You know, we're our own craft service. That's how it works when you're just a tiny group of people doing right. stuff. Like you're, you're wearing so many hats and I like to wear like a producer hat. I do enjoy all the nitty gritty getting people together and planning and spreadsheets and stuff. But I also, you know, enjoy just being a goofball and, um, you know, it probably took me 10 years to let go of a lot of pretenses I had and and just enjoy being a goofball and not taking myself so seriously. But as the years went on, using the 48-hour film project as the primary vehicle started absorbing a lot more people into our circle. So uh, a few years ago, we we made some film and had the biggest cast and crew to date. And it was like over 20 people. And I have this wonderful photo of everybody squished into my living room, uh, watching the, the film on Sunday night after we had spent all the weekend working on it. And it's just like, to me, that is absolute magic. All of these people are here. They're not being paid. They're smiling some of them didn't sleep in the last 48 hours, but they're still excited to be here and smiling. Um, and, and that's, that's the power of, of creativity, I suppose, is even if objectively, you know, Rotten Tomatoes would rank most of our films, uh, you know, we'd get a, what is it? The green splat, the, the rotten, yeah, um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, 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 I encountered that recently. This is probably not a good example, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, help indulge and you'll appreciate this. Um, you know, the, the, the terrible kind of movies I, I recently encountered a few months ago, uh, garbage pale kids, the movie, Oh, which is, uh, is it a trauma ter- flick or is it just, it, a, it, might, it a- might as well be, it, it's terrifying. <laughs> The um, budget was running low. The the masks and costumes uh, for the garbage pail kids per se uh, are you know it, it it is a difficult film. Now I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's that's not the point. But um, <laughs> I was just thinking about like kind of like this collective fun or calamity, and it kind of uh, came you know came together. Um, but I, one of the things that when you were talking about that, had I heard like magic and connecting with the crew in in in, in that piece, and um, you know I think that there's there's a lot of um, components to whether you're producing something that's with somebody. I've talked to uh, filmmakers and I've made short film never with a larger a group of folks, but once you start engaging collective activity with art, there's such a power to it, but it's also so incredibly difficult to kind of keep that collective um, uh, together. Um, Christina, I want to move to the the big question when asking you about, you know, when you were born, you were an artist, but um, just speak specifically now to like one of the two big questions asking the show. And that is what is art? Or what do you think art is? Wow. Uh, sorry for me going off on so many tangents before. I uh... <laughs> this, this show, this show is predicated and structured on on tangents. So if you, you know, if you listen to every single episode before this, you would have felt it. It, it, it that's its structure. So we're good. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, what is art? You know, <laughs> it's 
silly, I suppose, but I think it's anything that you intentionally create, um, especially if you share it, but you don't have to share your art. If you're writing poems for yourself in your journal every night, you're still creating art. Um, but I think about it's, it's just a, a worldview you can adopt and it does make everything more beautiful if you look at everything as art because it gives you opportunities to explore all the sides of your brain. And a very silly example is, um, well, I don't think it's silly, but it's it's not what you would normally consider art. But um, I, for the past like five years almost, I've been the copy editor for PDX Women in Tech, which is a, a collective of women in tech or women or women identifying trans. Like it's, it's a very inclusive organization, but uh, they've put on tons of events to, you know, empower and reach an audience. And so I've been the sole copy editor for, for years. And one of the, the small joys is looking at, you know, a paragraph somebody put together and <clears throat> excuse me, you write, so you'll understand a little bit of this, but okay, this, this, this is good. It's got information in it, but the person was writing it with the intention of just providing information. They weren't, they weren't trying to have an impact with those words. And so you can look at that paragraph and say, I'm going to spice it up. So it's, it's all of these just small opportunities to make something more engaging, have a, a bigger impact on your audience. And again, you know, sometimes it's an audience of thousands who read a newsletter. Sometimes it's an audience of 30 kids in a classroom who you've created this ex assignment you're really excited about. Sometimes it's, it's a support ticket where somebody writes in and they're like, I don't know what to do with my self help. And you, you know, you write down the steps and you're like, is this, is this good enough for the person who's consuming this? You know, no, I'm going to make this more clear. It's, and you might say, that's not art, but I mean, I think every single occupation or task has the potential to be art. So it's obvious in some things like woodworking where you could have a totally utilitarian table or you could taper the legs. You could, you know, fill in some holes with a pretty glow-in-the-dark resin. So it's, you know, some things are more obviously art than others, but it's, it's certainly, I think it helps me get through the day kind of focusing on everything as art as opposed to Oh man, another support ticket. I need to help uh, a filmmaker who's at a deadline and they're stressed and angry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it. It all has potential. And and so with 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 that, that with that idea in mind, and you know the the creativity around it and what people put into it, and and, and framing art in that way, leading to the next question I have. What is the role of art? You know, given that that's art, what what is the role of art? I, I don't want to speak for you, but I heard, you know, notions of, you know, communication and making better and what have you. But what do you see the role of art, you know, as as we make it? What's it supposed to do? Uh, art. Art's primary role is to overcome human shortcomings. Um, I mean, as a. As a group of people, humans are 
more towards bad than good. And I'm just saying that based on, you know, the fact that the ocean was on fire a few weeks ago. Uh, We can't seem to get a pandemic under control. We can't work together. You know, we're also very much separated in our own identities or nationalities. Um, All of, all of these things, I know there are a lot of good people and, and that, you know, like art that keeps me going. Know that knowing that there, most people are good. Like I try to approach everything, assuming everyone has good intentions, but the reality is the world is a very ugly place and the role of art is to make things beautiful. So even if you, you see a photograph of a building that's been bombed and there's clearly, you know, there were people living there. Did they survive that? We don't know. But, you know, four years later, somebody has tagged that building with graffiti. Like that's beautiful. You're trying to, to turn something that was once just this blight into something that means something, you know, it might just be to you, the graffiti artist. And, you know, maybe that graffiti artist is a bad person. I don't know. But they also might be tagging something specific for their community of graffiti artists. And that, that canvas of a, a decimated building, you know, it was ugly before. And regardless of what you think of graffiti, now somebody has tried to make it beautiful. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, and you see that instinct towards it. I mean, that's a kind of an example of that of bringing color to where to where there wasn't. I um <clears throat> I wanted to uh, just step back to Nick Cave for a moment. Um, <clears throat> so. I uh, I think when you brought him up, and I'm I'm a huge fan of Nick Cave, and I think he's such a fascinating kind of like subject <clears throat> as far as a creator. Uh, and you know, you think in the terms I, I when I start talking about it, it's like terms of of you know poetry, you know music, uh, performance, command of audience, and you mentioned the spiritual component of that of that ex- of of the live performance. Now I'll I'd say that. Um, experience like a very similar type of uh, experience in the live music performance of that being uh, towards a spirituality or a poetic uh, a performance. Um, how the taking Nick Cave is something like that and talking about power and magic, how much power would an artist like Nick Cave yield in that type of like environment? And where does all that come from? How, how does that happen? <laughs> how does art and power happen? Yeah, I mean, or, if, if, if Nick Cave led the congregation to the, you know, to, to, to the next level, whatever he did, they'd follow when you're in that mm-hmm, setting, right? Mm-hmm. The power of, 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 of art. Um, and for you describing that as a, a, a spiritual experience or encountering the sublime for you, that being the church, how did that happen for you? Now, I mean, it almost, it's, it has, it's the same sort of power as propaganda in a way. And like, <laughs> just listening to, to you describe what I said in different <laughs> words, it's like, wow, it's like somebody's on a pulpit and we're all convinced or they're the Pied Piper and we're all going to follow. Um, and, and you know it's funny sometimes i i feel a little bit like a pied piper myself because it's 
I've got this tremendous group of friends through filmmaking who we probably would never have become friends if not for this thing that we have in common, this love of this particular art form. And it can be, you know, there's, there's certainly drudgery involved because you have to plan and you have to acquire resources and all of that. And so that's why I say like, sometimes I feel like the Pied Piper because it's like, well, I have to play a magic flute or whatever and convince you to follow me. But, um, They, yeah, there's just some some power. Like, I don't think I'm answering your question. Um, no, I mean it's 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 mysterious. But I wanted to pick up on yeah. it. And and the the component I was asking about and, and prompting too is because, uh, just for an example, when I you know I've studied art and aesthetics formally, you know, university and 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 by myself. And the biggest impact or idea for me that uh, where I understood art. Um, particularly as an agnostic on spiritual matters, was the experience of the sublime, was the experience of something that just seemed bigger than the components of its parts. Mm -hmm. And because of that seemed spiritual, uh, it was a philosopher with the great name of Jean-Francois Lyotard, who wrote about the sublime and the Mm avant-garde. It was the specific experience of the sublime of when the human is in front of God, it is in front of the magic, it is in front of the Picasso painting of the blue guitarist. And trying to capture psychologically that moment is, I'm in front of something very big and very profound. And I find significant artists with that power of the Nick Cave example is um, that magic is such a fertile area of like, going into how did that happen? Why did I walk outside of the performance and feel like, whoa, like I'm empowered to do something? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, uh, Christine, yeah. I, wanted to, oh. I wanted to ask you uh, another question. It was a little bit of a, a component of parts of who you are. Um, the general question is, who or what made you who you are? Ooh. Um Well, as we were joking about before we started recording, uh, certainly He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Um, I was hoping you'd say that, yes. (laughs) Uh, So this is, you know, a time to be sad for a moment. But my earliest memory is my parents fighting um, and me sitting on a little patch of linoleum by the front door in an apartment or duplex we were living in. I just remember it was a small place. And... You know, they tend to, where the door swings open, there's a patch of linoleum, and then there's, like, standard, you know, multi-dwelling apartment carpet. Um, and I remember hearing yelling, and I remember the argue, them arguing, I don't know about what, but I had Orco. So Orco, for uh, those of you who are vaguely familiar with He-Man, uh, or not at all, is a little magician. He's a little red guy, um, red outfit, uh, kind of a sort of, witch's hat and he's he's the court magician ostensibly his job is to cast spells that might protect you know eternia or something like that but he's terrible at it like orko's a a failed magician but people keep him around because he's fun and he's supportive and he's great and i just remember (laughs) my little orko toy had 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 a ripcord in it so he could spin around um 
And just focusing in on that while there was chaos around me, I had this this wonderful little dweeb of a magician to entertain myself with. And it's, it's those little things that are so powerful. Um, you know, for me, it was my parents uh, probably never should have been married. You know, I probably shouldn't exist, but I do. They did. And, you know, I think they're happier now in their current stations in life without each other. Uh, but I had a younger sister, uh, Sam. Well, I still have her, uh, Sam. She's two years younger than me. And so we were like each other's um, rocks, essentially. And we had toys. And I, I think most of my life was spent playing Barbies with her, honestly, which as a feminist, I should say, oh, Barbie, she's so bad. Look at that unrealistic, you know, body expectations that Mattel thrust upon so many generations of women. But at the same time, um, in the second grade, I thought I could be president because Barbie was president. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have nothing but good things to say. Um, but going back to like, influences and such, it's pop culture is so important for these reasons, you know, like at a young age, most kids aren't attracted to classical works. Uh, they need something, you know, not necessarily at their level because I think kids are way more intelligent and creative than we give them credit for. Um, you're talking about like the chaos that was around and uh, just kind of like something that you, that you focus on at that moment. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things as far as whether it's playing, I've had conversations recently with, with artists and one, uh, which was, was startling. I might've mentioned a couple of times in recent shows, Raven Juarez was my hundredth episode and she, she works with, uh, students and she made, um, made just a comment as I was talking about how I would always make these uh, shapes and um, I didn't see myself drawing things loosely but it was always geometric shapes and uh, just the psychological idea of ordering that I never realized mm -hmm. that I was trying to do it's like I couldn't do these type of things I didn't want to express wild things in what I was drawing subconsciously I was creating order and I could create rectangles and, and I do, I do it right now. I just did it two days ago of like, okay, I need to go into the structure where everything does have an angle and they're 90 degree angles. But I didn't know why I had done that for 40 something years in my life until it was like, you're kind of showing when you're doing that and you're doodling, you're trying to show what you need or whatever. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know the mirror was was there, and I hope you've had fun with it. Whatever you've seen. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, uh, Christina. A uh, big question, the titular question, maybe sometimes intimidating, is why is there something rather than nothing? You know, i I was thinking I needed to brush up on on existentialism. Uh, and absurdism, because I, I sometimes confuse the two a little bit. But I mean, it boils down to that is, I don't think we're born inherently with a purpose. I don't think humanity is here inherently with a purpose. And there is something because we, we choose to create something or we choose to find something. I'd say that the 
the thing that I've been thinking the most about lately in terms of that is synergy. And COVID was huge. It had a huge impact on all of us psychologically, physically. Some of us, you know, lost people. But the fact that we were isolated for over a year, um, you know, if you were lucky, you weren't alone. I, I was not alone, so I feel very lucky. Um, but you lost all those moments of casual synergy where you say something, maybe you're telling a story, someone has a related experience and, and you can connect and you can bond, even if you've, you've never met this person before. And that something is, is connection. You know, that's, that's what we need. And if we're ever going to fix this planet, we need to connect as human beings and focus on it. Um, and we tried. Uh, so the film crew that I work with, uh, we sometimes call ourselves Fetus and Fetu Productions, which if you Google Fetus and Fetu, it's, it's, it's terrible and gross. But, um, you know, we came up with that name uh, 15 years ago when we were in our early 20s and we're obsessed with weird me medical things, you know. Um, so lately, uh, some of the some of the crews like, you know, I want to put this on my LinkedIn. I want to I want to let people know who could possibly employ me that I've been involved with this film team for so long and have have grown so much. Um, can we rename ourselves to Fetoid? It's a because we've called each other Fetoids for a decade. Like that's kind of our rallying cry. It's like, all right, Fetoids, let's do this <laughs> and. And that, that's helpful for the synergy and the connection, too, is like identifying with your community and your group and finding a common, you know, you have your common activity, but now you have a common identity. And it's, hey, we're fetoids. And, you know, some people find that with their sports team or their band or whatever. And for us, it's, hey, we're fetoids. And so during COVID, when we were all isolated, it was, well, we, we used to have all these touch points during the year of film, you know, we'd get together in August, we'd get together in October, we work on um, short films here and there that had no time um, surrounding them and in, in terms of like due dates and stuff. And we've also been in plays together. Um, you know, some of the people in the group are artists all the time. Like they don't, they don't exist in the nine to five world that a lot of us do. Um, myself included. And, you know, they're the greatest enablers because they have this idea, they have this world they want to explore, but they can't do it alone. And so they need other people. And the community, the synergy, and during the pandemic, it was very hard because we didn't have those sorts of opportunities. It was, we got to stay here in our apartments, our houses, whatever. But, you know, we realized we could still do something. So we we were going to do like a, I want to say a regular show, but we ended up only doing three episodes just because it was a lot of work and the pandemic, at least it's still, I mean, it's still ongoing, but the isolation, the required isolation, um, you know, the government imposed stay away from people and we didn't have a vaccine and all this stuff that lasted a lot longer than any of us anticipated you know, like we kept telling ourselves another few weeks, it's fine. It's going to be another month and we'll have this figured out. And, you know, three episodes of creating this, um, 
this show that we were live streaming. Um, it's like, I don't have the energy anymore. I am just so sad and worn out and depressed by this. Um, but I, I can't go on. And so I often think about like the dark and for me, it was fine. I have a good, I had a good job. I have, I have a great partner. I have two wonderful cats. I have a great family. Like I've got everything, but even I was, you know, distraught and more depressed than I've ever been. Sure. And, and so just thinking about how the people who are, are much less privileged than I, how did they handle the pandemic? And it's just every, everything is so weird now. I fear that we're going to have to go back into isolation and all those, those moments of, of synergy and connectivity and the something is going to be much harder to find. Yeah. The, um, it's that, uh, connection, right? Um, uh, work in a movement, the labor movement, and connection amongst people, and uh, yeah, I mean it's significant, right? And I think I think your mentioning of the casual pieces about the human experience, right? The fact that you mentioned like to somebody who's a political opponent, but you don't know anything about it, and you're like, you have a 12 year old kid, and you realize you both have a 12 year old boy, or, or whatever, and you're like hey, they both play baseball, right? Like, so we don't have to, like, get a knife into each other. We're just going to be like, we got kids who play baseball. And I'm not trying to be idyllic or absurd. I'm just trying to say there isn't even those casual opportunities for us to engage with each other without being, you represent the wrong party. You represent this. And it's like just a casual humanity and connection. And without that there, you know, I think we're kind of in a fraught um, position and still still are. So um, and how that connects to creativity, uh, as you mentioned. Right. Um, so about uh, in, in, in the question now is for ways for those who are listening to connect with um, your creativity or what you do or your interest and whatever level of comfort, just because you do a lot of different things and I'd like folks to be able to connect with those if you'd like them to. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, it's, it, this whole thing has been surreal. So thanks Ken. Um, you know, it's, it's probably better than a, a therapy session really. Um, hey, hey, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've worked in the labor room for 21 years. I've handled thousands of hours of phone call I'd have you take a guess at how much of that has been therapy, how much is that has been. This is Article 7 of the contract, and here we'll follow you. A lot of therapy, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a website, so it is uh, fetoid.com. And if you – let me just double-check that. <laughs> um did I, you know, did I, I pay the bills is really the question. <laughs> yeah, but you changed, um, you changed the name and you have it in your head as, <laughs> as you have it, right? <laughs> uh, yes. There is a moment sometimes where, but for me with my kid, what's the child's middle name and my kids will hate me for this, but sometimes for a second, I'll be like, wait a second. <laughs> Who are you again? Um, yeah, so. Uh, you can find any works that the fetoid group of people have endeavored upon at fetoid.com. And that will link you to all of our 
videos on YouTube. And if you have any, you know, if anybody's local and they want to join us, hit me up. Uh, there's nothing I like more than growing the community of, of weirdos. And, you know, that's one of my favorite things too about my my paying job is that as a manager of people, I, I get to hire for a team. I love building teams. And one of my driving tenants is, are you a weirdo? Um, and so I think this goes for all team building, you know, if I can give some unsolicited advice to anybody who's, you know, thinking of trying to build some sort of community is don't look for the people who fit in. You know, you don't want to look at something and be like, I don't know if they're a good fit for us. You yeah. want to look at them and be like, what weirdness do they bring to the table? You know, is this person going to come to this screening and we're going to say, okay, everybody, if you're comfortable, take off your pants. We're just going to have a pantsless screening of this movie and drink. And they're like, okay, cool. Everybody has a great time. And then they decide not to put their pants back on and they wheel their office chair that they were using all weekend at the editing station back to their house, three blocks away, four in the morning. Like you want to find those weirdos. And, uh, it's, that's what, Fetoid, the spirit of fetoid is all about like we we're probably on par with trauma honestly like a it's, it's schlock um but there's a lot of heart in it it's there's a lot of earnestness and that's that's art that's creativity is you deciding to put your heart into something well and with with trauma films i grew up on the east coast and know the uh, the, the, the hero, the greatest superhero that's ever come from New Jersey being the toxic Avenger. <laughs> um, now I'm from Rhode Island and New Jersey's not that far away. And let me just say, as a working class kid around some, you know, pollution or knowing of pollution, the toxic Avenger was, was an <laughs> Avenger for, for me and, and from, from, for, for many kids of my, of my age. So your reference to trauma and the toxic Avenger just, just empowered me as much as the Hulk with a, a kid nowadays. So. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit more accessible too, you know, like these nuclear stacks and, you know, I can see in the horizon, I, I can't see any here in Oregon, but uh, that you might somewhere else like, there's, there's a superhero as a result of this. Somebody's lurking. It's, it's cool. And, you know, I think it, it means we all can be that superhero. You don't have to magically be granted a sword by a sorceress in a castle. You don't get, you know, struck by lightning or bit by a spider. You know, you have it. It's, it's there somewhere. And the best way to bring it out is to work at it and find some people. Find your, find your weirdos. Yeah. I, uh, I heartily and heartily endorse, um, what you said. And I think, uh, um, you know, just kind of like the variety of the experience. And I know I try on the podcast of being interested in a lot of different things to get the variety of thought around and see just really how powerful, how creative, how capable humans are. Many, you know, all of us, um, uh, a lot of that's been in a slumber, right, for, for a long time. So I, I, my, I just love talking, you know, to you and, and to, to artists to really, like, engage on these questions and say, well, there is some power. There is something sublime. There is something psychologically useful. There is healing. And, um, and uh, the weirdness and hiring the weirdos, like, that's, you know, probably my primary job would be, like, 
writing the contract for the perfect working conditions for the weirdos. Like maybe that's <laughs> my big, that's my big thing that I help create uh, for. And I just started thinking about it now because of you. So, <laughs> um, uh, Christina, uh, Christina King, uh, it's, it's been a great pleasure, um, to, to be able to talk to you and, and learn about, um, your creativity and, um, just getting into some, some of these big questions, uh, for you. It's been great to chat with you. And I just want to thank you for coming on to the, for the podcast. Thank you, Ken. Uh, I wish I could talk to you for hours. This has been super fun. Well, thanks so much, and I'm sure we'll be able to, to chat again because I, uh, I love these conversations, and we'll keep them going. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. This is Something Rather Than Nothing.